I'll do my very best to get this job that I so crave. Hey, welcome to Fan Zone Debate. Me and Bucky are here to host this one with you guys. Uh, it's Brandon versus Tyler. Uh, Brandon uh and tyler both winning their first matches in their debuts uh just a few weeks ago uh in fan zone debate they are back now for the follow-up brandon won against the other cohen will cohen very good match there and then uh tyler beat alex in something that made me lose sleep that night so uh but all in all i'm very excited because i think uh, both of these guys showed a lot of promise in their debuts it's going to be interesting to see what happens kirk you are here to judge this one with me. How are you doing, sir? Good. Uh, excited for this matchup. Um, you know, just a lot, of, a lot on the line here. And um, again, these are two debaters who I think started to hit their groove late in their matches last last time. So uh, hopefully, they've both kind of like built off that, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. You know, th them take the next step here. All right, and Brian, you are here as always. How are you doing, sir? I'm uh, doing pretty good. Uh, this is uh, one of the one of the few matches so far where I've I've seen all their debates so far because I was here. I I judged the first the debuts for them. Now I'm here to see them face each other. I will say Brandon's already got a deficit because he made me change my hat, but we'll go on from here. All right, so uh, let's bring in the players. We will start with Mr. Birch Tyler. Uh, you came in, you played against Alex. Um, I think we all had a rough night that night. Alex verbally abused us in ways that I will never be able to, to, to get uh, out of my head. And uh, But now you're back. You, you were able to win the match, and you're going up against Brandon. Uh, did you see Brandon's match? How are you feeling going up against uh, Brandon? Uh, Bucky's excited, clearly. Are you excited for this match? Um, yeah, I got to see some of the match. Uh seems like he he did pretty well um so i'm excited to get to play against him uh i see what he's about and see how we kind of how we mesh together i think it's gonna be really interesting uh, hopefully i won't need therapy after this one like last time um but and then the <laughs> one just there so there we go there you go fair enough uh and let's bring in brandon uh brandon uh i'm not gonna lie i'm gonna be honest you had uh probably my second favorite moment in a fan zone debate ever uh, which was telling us all that Robert Redford fucked Jim Close <laughs> in the natural uh, is one of my all-time favorite moments now. I've been quoting it ever since it happened. Uh, and But now, you. you can't just get by on the giggles, Brandon. You got to be able to also... That's my stick. And uh, you're here to take on Tyler. Did you see Tyler's match? Uh, are you excited to play Tyler? How are you feeling? Me watch other multiplex stuff? No, I didn't. I did not see... I'm going in blind. I don't want to know anything. Um, no, I saw a little bit of it, actually. Uh, I'd be lying. Um, but no, I'm excited. Uh, I know what I'm doing now, kind of-ish. So uh, I'm excited to see how I can do with a little bit more prep this time. So uh, I want to save it all for the match. Nothing else awesome. To <laughs> all right. Well, let's thank you, Brian, for changing your hat. <laughs> Swaying. Any which way. <laughs> Let's get into the match. This is how it's going to work. Uh, there are four questions that we are going to start with, prep questions 
uh, that were drafted by the players. And then I gave them the questions. Uh, they gave me some answers. and They're going to debate the questions tonight before me and Bucky here this evening. Uh, so uh, here's how it's going to go. They're each going to get a one-minute opening, followed by a five-minute free form, followed by a one-minute closing at the end of that uh, debate. Kirk, Brian, and I will write on our handy-dandy boards who we thought won the question. Uh, two out of three votes wins you the point, and the first person to three points wins the match. If we're tied out of the four prep questions, we will go to a bonus speed round question to decide the winner. Gentlemen, do you have any questions? Nope. All right, then let's get into it. All right, we're going to kick this off in the category of Star Wars. And the question is, what is the best action scene in a Disney-era Star Wars film? Uh, Brandon, you uh, drafted this category, which means you are going to kick this one off. And you have one minute to do so when you start. Okay, so for best Disney-era Star Wars action scene, I am going with the fight scene with Kylo Ren and Rey working together to fight the guards in the throne room. I think this is by far the best scene because first off, it starts with the shock of Kylo Ren turning on General Snoke. And then it throws us into this massive fight scene with the red guards coming in. You have the beautiful, it's beautifully shot, has the red background with the lightsabers shining against that background. And it's just iconic imagery of them two back-to-back fighting each other. We have some of the best lightsaber moves i've ever seen in a star wars movie you have ray dropping the lightsaber switching hands and then you have the you have the great finale of ray throwing the lightsaber to kylo and then him launching or lighting it get the hole in the head it's a beautiful cap for the scene it's got great stakes in it and it's just iconic star wars imagery time Okay, uh, let's move over to Tyler. Tyler, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Think about the time when you feel like you're so close to getting a victory. You're so close to being able to finally achieve something to get to get somewhere that you've always wanted to go and then imagine behind you the hallway goes dark and a red lightsaber turns on and you hear ominous breathing my choice is the hallway scene with vader at the end of rogue one uh that scene to me i mean it's always stuck out to me uh just the sheer brutality of it we've all we've all loved vader since we were kids before i mean whenever we first saw the movies getting to see him in a you know 2016 where everything is a lot newer you know we have better technology and everything can you see him just mow down those rebels seeing how desperate they are to get down that hallway while he just destroys everybody even when they think that they have them he they don't have them i get to see all of his powers unleashed it's i mean it's the most stunning scene that i've seen and it just fulfilled this little nerd heart all right so the throne room versus the Vader hallway. Gentlemen, you have five minutes. When one of you starts talking, please do not talk over each other or I will throw a lightsaber at you. Have fun. So my problem with the Vader scene 
is you said that imagine that you think you have victory in your hands and then you have Vader behind you. But the problem with that is that as the viewer, we never once thought, oh, he's going to get these guys and get the plans and get out of there. We The problem with that scene is a good action scene needs to have stakes. And that just didn't have it because we know how it ends. We know they get away. We know they get the plans to, to Princess Leia. And we know that the rest of the Star Wars happen. I mean, I can see that you think that it's going to be, is, you know, what's predetermined. What I find so compelling about that scene is the fact that even though you know that it's going to lead into the Tanner 4, there's still that part of you that feels like he's still going to be able to get those plans back, that the Rebels aren't going to win, that he's going to be able to snatch it away. It's just such an odd, inspiring action scene that it's just it's so brutal that you you really think that it's just going to rewrite the whole timeline. That's just how powerful it is. Yeah, but it's just not for me because I just rewatched it in IMAX and it's great. But after it ended, I was like, wait, that was it. I remember it being so much bigger. And so for me, it just re especially rewatching it and knowing how the movie plays out now, it just really felt an action scene is supposed to complement the existing film. And this one just kind of overshadows the film. It's just like kind of like sprinkles on top. Like it's not needed really at all. It's just kind of fan servicey as well as mine is more of a pivotal role in the movie. And I think it like elevates the film with, with yours. It's just kind of, it's there to be like, Oh, that was really cool. They got away, uh, but we got to see something cool. And it's not like coolest moment. We're doing best fight, best action scene. I just think it doesn't work well as well with the rest of the film. I mean, I wouldn't say that it would overshadow the film. And I wouldn't say that it's kind of, I don't know where like they're just trying to do it just as fan service. We've seen Vader throughout the movie. So it wasn't a surprise. It was more of like a, like an, oh shit moment. Like he's here all of a sudden when he appeared in the desk, you know, in the Star Destroyer, it, that's really where it felt like, because it felt like the rebels the entire time. They were like, even though they were supposed to be like on the run, they were supposed to be the rebels. It didn't really feel like that. It was when in that in these moments where we started to really feel like this is where this is where the rebels are going to lose. And uh, I mean, I know I'm trying, I'm, and also the action scenes. I mean, the cinematography, the the actual like uh, fight choreography. They did a really great job of showcasing all the different abilities of Vader um, and the rebels trying to do everything that they can, so that way they can stop them. Um, so that they they did a lot with a little, which I always thought was really impressive. It's not something that you just you know it's a long drawn out sequence, and there's a lot of different things going on. It's an intimate fight as he goes down this hallway like a machine that you know, like the machine that he is, mowing down these rebels, and they're trying to do everything they can to survive. Well, if you want, if, I mean cinematography, mine has that beautiful wide shot with the red room. It has that imagery. It has the oh shit moment. It has multiple oh shit moments. It has. Snoke has him turning the lightsaber with that starting that with that slow burn turning the lightsaber on has that oh shit moment it has them you realize when they're not fighting each other they're working together that's an oh shit moment you have him and it ends on the ultimate oh shit moment of that guard dropping with that hole in his head from the lighting from lighting the lightsaber so it has all those oh shit moments it is a longer it's not drawn out it was, I rewatched it it's like the perfect length where you're not um uh, you're, you're not like bogged down by it. You're like, oh, what else are they? Gonna, I want to see more of this, if anything. 
Um, and it's just the choreography. We've seen countless light tipper battles at this point, and they pull out just things after thing after thing of different moves we've never seen before. Because it's not light tipper on lightsaber, it's light tipper on whatever I don't know what the name of that weapon is. But so we get to see things we haven't seen before. We've seen force chokes, we've seen people get mowed down with lightsabers before. It's a cool moment, but in terms of an action scene and an overall action set piece, it's just kind of a one, you know. Um, one note scene well as far as the praetorian guard showdown um first off i gotta say too much red there's between the praetorian guards and the red room there's too much red for me uh which kind of took away from it for me a little bit um but honestly like just starting out with like the snow killing um i never really that never really vibed with me it never felt like it was really like a it was never like a pivotal moment um and seeing them fight you don't really it's got it's you know it's all glitz and glamour but there's not really there's not really any substance to it it's just getting to see um some guys that have some weapons fight it's it doesn't really do time all right uh we're gonna start with tyler to close out tyler you have one minute when you start talking for me i'm more of an old-fashioned guy i like to see something well executed something that's going to be that sticks with you for a long time uh, for me, when I thought about this question, the first thing that came to mind was the Vader hallway because of how how well it was shot, uh, how brutal it was, how I felt like even though in this hallway they weren't gonna this, the rebels were gonna get away, it just didn't feel like it. I, it it just it always stuck with me because of those moments. Praetorian showdown, um, it was you know it was flashy. There was some you know bright shiny lights, but there wasn't really that much to it in my opinion it just never really felt like there was a whole lot of substance it started off with a twist that really was kind of kind of weak and it just kind of led into um i mean it just, it just kind of just kind of led into like uh them there was no there was a lot of flashy moves but there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot behind it and it so like i said too much red i, I don't know <laughs> all right yeah, man. Time. All right, uh, Tyler, we, or sorry, Brandon, we're going to move over to you for your closing. You have one minute when you start talking. So we're talking best action scene in this new Disney trilogy. Now, I like to see an old-fashioned guy too, but we're in a new era. We need something new. We've seen all this before, so we need something that can elevate a lightsaber battle. And my scene elevates a lightsaber battle. We see moves we haven't seen before. We've seen team ups we never expected. We have twists and turns in the fight scene. We have emotion after the fight scene. The Vader scene for me just doesn't work because a fight, an action scene, this is action scene, has to have stakes to it. It has to have tension to it. There's tension, but there's no stakes because us as the viewer, we all know what happened. We know what happens. It's cool, it's flashy, it's candy. Mine has more substance to it. It has it has better choreography. It has things we haven't seen before. It has motion to it. It has heart to it at the end. And overall, tying the whole movie together, it fits with the movie and it's just a better action scene in the film. Time. Okay. Uh, great job, guys. Uh, this was really good to start it off. All right, bringing the judges. Uh, judges, let me know when you're ready. I am ready. I'm ready. 
Um, okay. Bucky's left my side. He's currently running around with that dinosaur from Dominion that like jumps into the ice lake thing. He's running around with that, being chased by my wife. So we've uh, we've moved up in the world. Uh, so uh, let's get this going. You guys are ready, so I'm gonna start it. Um, I went with Brandon. Uh, I thought that this was good uh, to start it off. I thought that Brandon was really smart to take this in the realm of like, because I feel like the Vader scene is the easy answer. And like, uh, honestly, the cur- correct answer, probably what I would have taken as well. But I thought Brandon did a good job taking the approach of um, we, we know how this is going to end. It's all candy. There's no tension. I thought that worked really well. Um, and I didn't really hear much from Tyler other than, well, it, it was tensionful for me. Like, okay, but I need more. Like, why was it blah, blah, blah. Um, so I thought Brandon did a really good job of kind of encapsulating why his was the better, um, not only action scene, but also what it did for the movie and the story and whatnot. So I went with Brandon. Brian, where are you leading and why? Um, I thought it was a pretty good debate. I, I do think that they, they're better at talking about their own movies than attacking the others because I thought the, the attacks on the other people's picks weren't as strong. Like uh, Things like Too Much Red don't factor in for me. Um, but I also disagree with Tim in that I, I the whole thing about uh, where you just like there's no tension because you know how it turns out. Because if you take the movie on its own merit, like so if, say for instance, if somebody's watching it chronologically, that's not a factor. You don't know how it ends. You don't know where the story's going. We're just saying that because that's what we know. So things like that didn't really uh, didn't really affect my choice in the debate. Um, in the end, I did actually end up going with Tyler. Um, he just talked a little bit more about the the, the brutality and the impressiveness of it. Um, I, I, I do enjoy both of those scenes, but just squeaked it out for him. Okay. Uh, and Kirk, you're deciding this one. Um, yeah. In the end, I think they both picked probably the best two picks they could have picked um, as far as these movies go. Uh, but I also went with Brandon. Um, just because I, I've just listening, I think Brandon, uh, yeah, I don't think any of them tore down, uh, the other movie to, to or the other scene too much. Um, but I think Brandon threw a lot of good points. Um, and I just didn't hear enough from Tyler, um, taking those down or giving enough about his scene to, 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 count, to you know, to, to knock, uh, Brandon's or at least counter Brandon. So, um, yeah, I think I think Brandon had, a, had just had a lot of a lot of uh, ammunition in the gun there, and he fired all off. And um, Tyler just couldn't, um, you know, defend on that one. So, uh, Brandon was my pick. All right, all right. So Brandon wins the first point. We are going to move on to the second question. I do got to say, guys, you picked some good categories tonight. Fucking, we've talked about Oscars and like best winning scores and soundtracks and all this shit this is these are some good questions they are some good uh, categories uh and so the next one i'm also excited about sci-fi terminator and the question is who should direct the next terminator movie uh specifically it's got to be one who's never uh directed a terminator movie before uh so we're going to kick this off with tyler tyler you got one minute to open your argument when you start talking So we all agree that Terminator needs a, a fresh start. Um, something that, you know, is a little bit is organic with the franchise, but also is different enough that we get a taste for something new. Um, the people that I think would be able to bring that to a Terminator movie is Radio Silence. 
Matt Bet uh, Betanelli Open and Tyler Gillert. Uh, these two are the ones that did Ready or Not. They did the new Scream. Um, for me, ter uh, for me, what I think that Terminator needs to do is they kind of need to get a little bit back to basics. But and by that I mean like more of a mystery, more of suspense. Uh, trying to talk about like you know the remember in Terminator Two when the T one thousand could have been anyone or you know the other Terminators that that could have been anyone. Uh, I feel like we never really got to, even though we got to see that a few times, we never got to truly understand. We never got that true suspense, that suspense of like, who could it be? Could it be anyone like for real? And I think that these two could bring that to this movie. Time. Okay. Uh, let's move over to Brandon. Brandon, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. So I agree. The Terminator franchise in recent years has been tarnished by horrible sequel after sequel, attempts at reboots, large, big budget, messy action scenes. And I believe we also need to go back to basics. But for me, what made the series most memorable in the first place is just pure science fiction. Time travel, robots, technological corruption by these large corporations. And I think the perfect person to breathe life back into this movie, in this franchise, is Denis Villeneuve. Because look at what he's done already. He's done with Blade Runner, what he's done with Dune. He's taken some beloved, but also some uh, struggling like Dune movies. And he's developed these amazing, rich environments. And with Terminator, he could make this, uh, this apocalyptic wasteland look absolutely beautiful. He can delve deep into these concepts of time travel, of the government and corporations controlling us with technology. And I think he'd just be a fantastic choice. Time. Choice. Strike it choice. from the record. Uh, let's bring in Tyler. That no time <laughs> you guys got uh, five minutes of free form when one of you starts talking. I'll let you take this one. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I believe that sci-fi is important for the franchise as well. Um, but I think that the reason why this this franchise always stuck with people isn't so much the sweeping wastelands and the the sci-fi like you know murder machines and of the future because it was like a Terminator Salvation that didn't go over so well. Um, I think that it mainly was the fact that it was this uh, you know this this unstoppable force that we didn't know who it was, we didn't know what it was, and so we got to kind of we got to see it keep coming and coming, and they never knew what was going to happen, who was going to come for, who was going to attack first, and I think that the radio silence duo would be able to really capitalize on that because they've a, a big part of what they do in their previous movies were subterfuge, not knowing who's going, not knowing who's who, who's on your side, who's not on your side, um, an unstoppable force like Ghostface. Uh, so I think that those aspects of Terminator are what we would need to get back to. And I think that they would be able to bring it, they would be able to bring Terminator back to what we would like it to see for a new audience. So my counter to, I just believe, I love their movies, but I just believe that their tone wouldn't be right for this. They're make, they're known for making, they have fun movies, ready or not, super fun movie, scream your boot, super fun movie. I just don't think that Terminator, they've tried to make these fun over-the-top action movies. And I just don't, it's it's clearly not working. Yeah, we need to get back to suspense. And Denny is the master of suspense. He's the master of of um, just, uh, just 
diving deeper into into horror he can delve into the horror and the atmosphere and build that suspense through this atmosphere through this world that he's built i'm picturing kind of doing salvation over and apparently he was tagged for it but doing salvation over again seeing judgment day seeing this world that has just exploded and and looking at and just i just imagine the things flying through the air and these big large shots it's just i love the radio silence guys i just think that they're best in kind of a smaller setting not these large scale movies like something like terminator it just wouldn't work with me it just it would just be i mean we don't need comedy in it you know i know they can probably do stuff without it but you know it's just we just need to get back to you know suspense but also science fiction and diving into that right and they have done a lot of comedy in the past and i i believe that if you give them the chance to bring their own spin to it they'd be able to provide it without having to do the comedy because scream has a lot of i mean other than the murder has a lot of comedy in it uh ready or not was meant to be a lot more fun movie so if they're given the challenge of a movie that isn't as fun uh, i believe that they'd be able to bring that to it uh as far as like denny goes i believe that like he's done great sci-fi in the past the only thing is that uh, i feel like the terminator terminator there's a lot more action to it is more of a sci-fi action and so it's not so much like high sci-fi which is like what dune is you know dune is a lot more high sci-fi um and you know and um you know arrival and things like that so it, that's always been more of his kind of sci-fi so this you know corporate world this uh torn apart nuclear wasteland um, these machines that are killing, you know, killing the humans, these giant armies and everything like that. Uh, I'm not sure that, that I don't believe that that would really be his kind of wheelhouse for sci-fi. I think that he might try to elevate it to a point where people, it will lose itself in the franchise, um, which could end up, you know, sinking the Terminator franchise again. Well, I mean, I disagree. Like you said, that it's on his wheelhouse. I think it's exactly his wheelhouse. I think we need some high sci-fi in this world. We've had all these big action movies. We don't need that anymore. The, 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 the Terminator world's already ruined. We need somebody to kind of elevate it. So I think a slow burn kind of Terminator movie about you know this corruption and robots taking over. We don't need these big action scenes. We could have we could follow a small group of people trying to navigate through this world through this wasteland he's built, you know, nobody does atmospheric wastelands like, you know, would do like he does like in Dune or building or building this um, futuristic world with flying machines like he did in uh, Blade Runner. I think Denny would be the perfect person to switch. We need to do something new. So I think let's, you know, let's dive into this sci-fi. Let's do a high sci-fi thing. There's so many concepts in those original movies when it comes to time travel and consequences and um and the government and, and corruption there's all there's all these there's, there's all the all the sci-fi elements are there and we just need we need someone to dive into them we don't need these explosions and these amazing these you know, messy fight scenes anymore time sorry bucky's doing tricks now uh okay we're gonna move to brandon for his closing uh you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking so Find me someone who's seen one of the new Terminator movies. Oh, wait. The, the, the fact is Terminator's become a joke. It became a joke since Terminator 3. I mean, it was it was fun after, or it was, I was excited for Salvation, and then from there it just went downhill. They've, they've fallen off of what they're known for. And what, they're, what they should go back to is 
pure deep science fiction, rich science fiction, delving into those those um, uh, into time travel, into corruption, into the stakes of time travel, into um, just this apocalypse that is coming or is coming, depending on where this movie takes place. I think Denny is the master at building tension and built and having these beautiful dystopian worlds. You know, look at Dune, look at Blade Runner. I think it's he's prime for Terminator. He'll take the series back to where it was, where it originally started, and elevate it even farther. Time. Okay. Now let's move over to Tyler for his one minute closing when he starts talking. I agree. We should get back to basics. Terminator needs to go back to where it came from. Um, and honestly, for I think a lot of people, as much as the sci-fi framework uh, is the background, you know, the background of the movie, it's the the infiltration, the oncoming Terminator, the unstoppable force that they remember. The who's who's your friend? Who do you trust? That kind of behavior. Uh, radio silence is the ones that can bring us back to that. They can, you know, they can go and hire Greg Frazier and do cinematography, uh, those sweeping landscapes. Um, but they're also going to, you know, they're also going to bring in that who's who's my friend, who do I trust? You know, the T one thousands. That is what brought people to people T T two Judgment Day was the T one thousand. The fact that anybody could be a Terminator. Uh, they they have always shown that they know how to handle suspense. Who do you trust? That kind of thing in their movies. That's a trademark of their movies. Um, they would definitely be able to, I mean, that's, yeah, they, they would be able to bring Terminator back to where it needs to be. Need to be. Strike it from the record. Uh, let's bring in the judges. <clears throat> There's not many things I would like to copy Nazario on, but saying strike it from the record is, is definitely one of them that I stole from Nazario, and I'm happy about it. It was the best part of my argument, and you took it away. <laughs> Asterix next to this match. All right, judges ready? Mm -hmm. Kirk, you're kicking us off. All right, uh, this was tough um, because it basically became <clears throat> not just about the director, but what kind of Terminator movie we were going to get. Um, so based on the arguments, I did go with Tyler. Uh, and I think it's because, you know, Brennan kept, you know, hyping up what Villeneuve is going to do and, you know, what it's going to look like and what it's going to feel like. And um, I think that Tyler was right. He kind of spun it where, well, that doesn't really feel like Terminator movies. And um, when, you know, Brennan's talking about, you know, the, the, that unstoppable force and that, that thing coming at you. And what is it? I, I liked. I liked that. At first, I didn't like the pick at all, but he kind of sold me on the idea of what they would do. And I really liked this closing. You know, one of you know Brennan's big argument that the sweeping landscapes what's going to look like. You know, Tyler just said, "Well, they'll get a good cinematographer," and I really like that. You know, he'll handle that, and they'll and they'll tell the story. Um, so I kind of like that spin on it. So yeah, Tyler gets my point. Um, yeah, I agree with Kirk in that it kind of became less about the director and all, more about the director and what kind of movie they were making it almost became kind of like a pitch question at a certain point and i kind of chose based off of the argument and based off of the fact that at the end of the day i thought they were both really strong uh because i i like the the idea of brandon's of being like no this like let's make like a 
something slow burn, something that they haven't done before, deep root this in science fiction type of thing. But at the end of the day, I also went with Tyler because at the I just I liked his pitch of the movie more, and I thought that his thing of like like these directors, um, the unstoppable force thing, like Kirk said. Um, and I thought that he did a good job of taking down Villeneuve. Um, yeah, I thought I thought this was really, really good, though. This was much closer than the last one. I thought the last one was close, though. Uh, Brian, your vote doesn't count. Where are you going and why? Uh, once again, I'm the odd man out. I went with Brandon. Um, I, I think uh, early on, I wasn't sure that either one of these uh, ideas was really resonating with me. Um, but like you said, it kind of did turn into a pitch question, but that's actually where Brandon actually started pulling out for me because while I didn't see him originally as a good fit for Terminator, he explained to me that the movie he envisioned him making was the, the uh, post-apocalyptic, you know, the atmospheric wasteland, and that's some, and that's the kind of thing that uh, Denis does very well. I could actually, I could totally picture that movie, and so I went Brandon. Yeah. All right, so uh, we are tied up one to one as we get into the next question, which is going to be in the category of comedy. And the question is, what is the best comedic performance in a 2000s teen comedy? Uh, so, Brandon, you are kicking this one off. You have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. So this was an easy question for me. Because is best comedic performance in a 2000s teen comedy? For me, the ultimate 2017 comedy is super bad. It is the movie made for teens, and it just defines what it's like to be a teenager in high school. And that movie is fronted and carried. He has an amazing sidecast, but carried by Jonah Hill. And Jonah Hill's performance in that movie transcends time. I still quote that movie to this day. Flip it up with your waistband. It was like the first time I heard the Beatles. There's These are quotes that every day pop up in my everyday life and you know yeah they're written by this script or whatever but the way he delivers them it's purely iconic you couldn't go to a college party without seeing guy oh that guy's like seth that guy's like seth he just brought life to this kind of asshole character that's been done before but just brought it to a whole different level and it's just i mean only one word iconic time okay uh, let's move over to Tyler for his opening. One minute when you start talking. So for my pick, I went unconventional. I was trying to think of someone, not so much a leading person, but someone who just maximized the amount of uh, com comedy when they were around. Um, and I just I kept thinking about this one person from a 2000s comedy movie. And that was, that was Gene from uh, Wet Hot American Summer, played by uh, Christopher Maloney. I remember watching American Summer and I enjoyed every second of it, but every time Gene was on the screen, it was just so much better. Him arguing with a can of vegetables was spectacular. Um, just him constantly, uh, like, I mean, yelling at the campers whenever they asked him any kind of questions. You know, he always, he always enjoyed that. Uh, the montage where, uh, the montage where he, he teaches Coop um, how to, the new way. Uh, where it ends up like with like dancing and all the like I don't know like a therapy group and stuff like that. It was uh, it was very unconventional, but he really was able to uh, maximize the, the humor in those moments. Um, time. Yeah, strike yeah. it from the record. Uh, okay, <laughs> so five minute free form when one of you guys starts talking. So, the main difference between these two things is 
mine is a main character. You said you went unconventional route. Mine's a main character. And I think my character is in the whole movie and he just, he carries the movie. You get to see, you get to see him in all these different situations while Gene is kind of just a one, you mentioned his one thing I wrote down, can of vegetables. That's literally, he's a grumpy cook who deals with the can of vegetables. That's just shtick. For uh, Jonah Hill's character, we get to see him in all these situations and see how he reacts in all these situations. We see him bring comedy to him awkwardly talking to girls or him trying to get booze or him talking to cops. You get you get to see him in all these situations and Jonah Hill really elevates it and he fits in all these moments and he hits all the beats perfectly. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you. That, the fact that you say that like, uh, Gene's one thing is the can of vegetables. J Jonah Hill's character in, in uh, Superbad, his whole thing is dick jokes. He spends the entire time making dick jokes, and that's like his entire character revolves around that. So, you know, it can be it can be funny for some people, but if you don't really enjoy dick jokes, then it's going to be a really hard time for you to get a lot of comedy out of what he's saying. Um, and with Gene, like, there's a lot more that's going on there. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a little bit stuff that you you have to think about a little bit more. But like uh, him always talking about like, him coming to terms with who he is, like he always does that in a comedy way. Every time he says something, he ends it off with like. Uh, I'm going to go fondle my sweaters or something like that. Um, you get to see like, it's, it's always, it's very, it's very off the wall. Um, you're not really sure what you're going to get and you're not really sure how it's going to pay off. And then you find out it pays off by him, you know, finally embracing who he is and humping a fridge. I mean, I think that there's more of a journey there than just like the can of vegetables, like you said with Jonah Hill. Um, so I don't think that they're, they're not, they're not defined by just, they shouldn't be defined by this one thing. And Gene isn't just as much as you. you yeah, say that well, he, I mean, yeah, there's lots of dick jokes, but he shouldn't be defined by dick jokes either. We learn through the film that like the dick jokes and as anyway, as someone who also uses comedy as like a defense mechanism, the dick jokes are just to cover up his own insecurities. We get to see him go on this journey through this night with his friends and dealing with um, dealing with leaving, you know, going away to school dealing with trying to get a girlfriend for the first time. And yeah, he has he has more depth to it. Yeah, I know it's comedic performance, but he brings that depth in in such a comedic way. Like when he's like, when, when, you, when you have the big scene of him like being sad, like that's not comedy, but then he brings it back with like, I fucking love you, man. And like waking up in the morning and booping him on the nose. So he breaks up that he, ha we have that character development for him with more than just dick jokes. We get to see kind of why he's so into these dick jokes. And, and then my argument for Gene is just that I just believe that he's just kind of lost in an ensemble for me. It's just best comedic. It's hard to pick out one character. Like that movie is hilarious that you chose. It's just hard to pick out one comedic performance. If we're going best comedic performance for the whole, you know, the whole decade, it's hard to pick a character that or from a movie that has Paul Rudd, Bradley Cooper, Amy Poehler, all these people in, the, in this movie that kind of, get their own moments to shine and to kind of outshot and don't get to interact with him. So we get to see him on his own. And then we just go back to them. I mean, but if we're going to talk ensemble, I don't know anyone who wasn't making jokes about McLovin. I mean, that wasn't that that was, you know, another character or Bill Hader's character, Seth Rogen's character, the cops. So there's, there's a lot more going on in that movie than just what Jonah Hill is doing. It's not just a Jonah Hill show. It's what's going on with the glove, what's going on with Michael Sarah's character, what's going on with the cops, uh, what's going on with Emma Stone. And also it's just it it the comedy is very is very specific to a certain kind of person. 
And so if you're I, if you're not that person, like I was rewatching some of his best stuff, so that way I could get ready for this. And it just it it didn't hit me now the same way that it did back then when I was a teenage boy. Uh, now it's just like oh that's that's kind of gross. Oh that's pretty like that's not great um, the way it looks. It it didn't really it didn't really age well. Whereas when I was watching you know stuff about Gene, it was. I was still genuinely cracking up. I was still having a good time with it. It was still weird and bonkers. And he was still, it was still a great performance. And it didn't like, I, it, it felt like it did when I first saw it, as opposed to when I watched, uh, when I was watching Super Bad. And I was yeah. just like, this well, isn't it. If you want to talk about, like, not for everybody and weird, Gene's whole chick is, you know, humping the fridge, talking to a can. That's irreverent and weird and goofy, not for everybody. I just want to cover on McLovin real quick. It's, it's Seth's performance with McLovin that really elevates McLovin like you chose fucking McLovin it's the way he rags on him all right uh we are gonna close first with Tyler uh Tyler you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking like I said before uh Jonah Hill's character uh, def- I think he defined the 2000s for a very specific kind of person, uh, not so much for a wide group of people. Um, Gene, on the other hand, like he spent, he spends the entire movie in all these different situations, all these different forms of comedy. Um, so it's kind of a little bit for everybody. And so it's, it's a, it's a more well-rounded performance and it sticks out more to me because um, it's just, it's all like these little pieces that connect together in the end. You know, you're not sure, like, why is he yelling at a can of vegetables? You're not sure, like, why is he uh, yelling about corn and, and, you know, berating the campers? And then in the end, you see his big speech where he's talking about how he wants to embrace who he is. Um, and then he embraces it by embracing the fridge. Um, it's just it's a performance that it, it took me by surprise that I enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, but it's just always been one that I just really enjoyed. And I think that Christopher Moline just he, he knocked out of the park by portraying the character the way that he did. Time. Okay. We're going to move over to Brandon. Brandon, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. So I disagree. I think that Jonah Hill's character is more for everybody. Everyone's been the awkward kid trying to make it, trying to get to the party. Not everyone, you know, I do think that the other, if I showed 10 people Gene's performance, they'd be like, what the what am I watching here? It's totally irreverent. It is completely like it catches you by surprise. And it just doesn't, it does not work for everybody. It works for a very specific group of people. I think Jonah, uh, Jonah Hill's performance more is more for everybody. Everyone's been in high school. Everyone's tried to go to party. Everyone's tried to be cool before you try to say things you don't believe in because you just try to be cool. Uh, I think we see a more uh, a better arc for the character with him going to college at the end. I think Gene's arc is better in the prequel Netflix show. I think once you get more background with him in the movie, it just comes off as like, this is so weird. He's like, then he leaves with humping a fridge. It just doesn't have that full arc until you see the earlier stuff with the prequel. I think Jonah's just more well-rounded. Time. Okay. Uh, I'm going to bring in the judges. I will say, um, say what you will about Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, Those Netflix shows were funny. (laughs) the prequel one is very funny because they don't even give a shit about how old the actors are and i fucking mm-hmm. love it um okay brian you are kicking us off here uh yeah i i uh 
do agree with both choices. I think they're very funny. Uh, um, what Had American Summer, I think, is an underrated movie, and Christopher Maloney is one of the funniest parts of it. Um, that being said, I actually ended up voting for Brandon. Um, I, I think that uh, it came down to the fact that Tyler's pitch of of uh, Gene from What Had American Summer just didn't give me enough substance, and he didn't wasn't able to really explain it and kind of paint that picture of what makes him so funny, what makes performance so good. I don't know if Kirk has seen it. It sounds like Tim has. But I think for someone who hasn't seen it, if they heard this debate, they would still be like, why is this guy funny? So I just, he just didn't quite paint that picture for me. All right, Kirk, where are you going and why? And um, have you I'll, seen the American Summer? I so. have, yes. Um, I went with Brandon also. Um, I think Brandon just did a better job, like Brian said, of describing you know specifics about why his character was funny. Um, and I think Tyler kind of showed himself the foot um, trying to uh, paint Jonah Hill's character as, as Seth is like more like a character, like a niche character, not for everybody. Um, when he picked a, ver- a character who is very much a, a a unique character that a lot of people may not connect with. So, um, and I think Brandon did a good job of shooting that down. So, um, yeah, Brandon gets my vote as well. Okay, Brandon wins the point. My vote doesn't count. I also went with Brandon. I actually thought that the beginning it was going kind of back and forth. Tyler had a a really good comeback at one point where he was like, well, if you think that Gene is just all like this weird thing with the can or whatever, like uh, Seth is just all friggin' dick jokes like the whole time. I thought that was really strong. And I was like, okay, Tyler, here we go. And then honestly, Brandon, the closing especially really painted the picture of like, we've all been in high school. We've all tried to do that thing. Like he painted the picture really well of the character and why the character works on a comedic level, but also why Jonah Hill is great in the performance. Cause it's just not, it's not, the question wasn't just about like who's funny, but it was also the performance. And I thought Brandon nailed more about the performance and the funny. Um, but yes, I went with Brandon as well. So Brandon wins the point. He's up two to one. Uh, so Tyler does need to hit this one in order to send it to the bonus round. Uh, the final question is going to be in the category of DC. This was drafted by Tyler. And the question is, what is the scariest villain moment in a DC Batman movie? Tyler, you're going to kick us off. You got one minute when you start talking. So I'm going to go with um, a moment that's, stuck out to me probably i mean to to this day like it's still a moment that i I constantly think about and how well it was done and uh that's the mayor's murder by the riddler in the bat the beginning of the batman as a cold open it's no holds barred one of the best ones uh the fact that you not only is it play out at the beginning like you you're batman you're watching you know you're watching gotham um and then um you're watching you're watching the mayor and you're like what's happening and then uh, you start to slowly realize it, it's the Riddler. Um, the the amount of suspense that they put into that scene, uh, the fact that like the way that they they shot it, where it's the you know, it's always it's kind of like it was more like a kind of like a slasher villain with the way that the Riddler was in the background watching the mayor while the mayor was talking, going about his business. Uh, it really built up this tension, this dread. And then right when it got up to the point where you're like, I can't take this anymore, it erupted and he killed him time killed him 
that's the way to end the yeah. end the opening. Uh, let's go to Brandon. Brandon, you got one minute when you start talking. Okay. So when talking about scariest moments in any superhero film, not even just Batman, the conversation always ends up back to Heath Ledger's Joker. He gives one of the greatest villain performances in all of film history. And he does this while being menacing, calculating, humorous at sometimes, but like just most importantly, downright terrifying. At this point in the film, you're watching. So I'm picking the Joker's torture warning video that they play on the news in The Dark Knight. So going up to this movie or up to this point in the movie, you're thinking you're getting kind of like a um, kind of a suspenseful action heist movie. It starts with a little bit and like, oh, the Joker's kind of on this, this sideline. And then it hits you with this film of this guy dressed in a Batman mask, getting getting just tortured and humiliated by the Joker. And the way Heath Ledger performs this with the giggling, the high pitched screaming, but then the look at me going he's just it's completely unsettling and downright terrifying time all right five minute freeform when one of you starts talking uh so for me i mean the reason why the riddler one is scary and it's it's uh it's like with for this one um it's the, the suddenness. I mean, it's the fact that it's the first thing that you see. Uh, you're not really going to, you don't know anything about the Riddler yet. It's all, it's all a mystery. You don't know what kind of character you're going to get. You didn't even realize it was Riddler until, you know, it was too late. The mayor was dead. Um, and also it just perfectly encapsulated the character that we were going to be getting. Um, you said cold and calculating. That's, that's Riddler, but also those moments of passion, those moments of anger, you know, where he killed the mayor. Um, it, it shows you the blueprint of the character that you're going to be getting for the rest of the film. Um, and for me, I mean, that's that's what stuck with me because that was the trademark of the entire movie. Um, and so that, that's what made it that's what made it so scary beyond, you know, obviously the murder. So what what pushes it for me is you talk about it's it's character, it's villain, scariest moment with a villain. And you get that scary moment, but he's barely in the shot. Like he's kind of in the darkness and like you have that building tension and you want to talk about suddenness. The way they say we have a we have a video, it may be disturbing for other people. And then it just cuts hard cuts to this guy getting tortured in this Batman mask. And, the, and then this psychopath yelling at him, laughing at him, screaming at him. It's just completely unsettling you connect you're like you it, it really connects you to who this villain is you're like oh this guy is fucking crazy and what and puts it for me is like it's shot with a hand camera but then it keeps cutting back to bruce's face and i was watching it today if you watch his hand the way he's like kind of like you, he has a slight little tremble in his hand because like he himself batman the you know fucking batman you know nobody can beat batman you see batman kind of get taken aback seeing like oh my god this guy is really serious and us as viewers are seeing that like oh shit this guy's got batman on the ropes there's something there's something this guy is doing something to me to if you can affect batman what's he going to do to me yeah and uh, i mean i could definitely say that it was probably it was definitely one of the loudest moments in the film um for me i think that it was there was a lot going on in that and i think that that can be scary for some people uh but we already kind of had an idea of who joker was so it kind of it, it it showed us a little bit more but it wasn't so much like this is our first experience with who this character is um and i mean 
you talk about the the Riddler being in the darkness, uh, but that's I mean that's part of that that's part of what makes it so scary is because the fact that like he infiltrated the highest level of public official in Gotham City, he infiltrated the house easily. Uh, we also saw like his family and how they had left. We I mean really like you. It, seeing like the family and him spying on them uh, raise attention even more. Everything went into building up this idea of who this character is and what he's going to do. Um, and so, and the fact that they did less is more, I think is what led to it being scarier with the Joker. You know, it's, he's always in your face. It's always, everything's going on. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of, a lot of things hitting you at once, um, which can, you know, it can definitely get you riled up and get you spooked. Uh, but I think with the, uh, the Riddler is more of um, it, it's more of a he's lying in wait and he's going to do what he needs to do um, and he's going to be able to get wherever he needs to be to fulfill his plans. Yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it, it's psychological. It's it's uh, it's thrilling, but when it comes, but I don't find it all that scary. You say you know, it's it's all in your face. I mean, he spends most of the scene behind the camera and then at the very end you get this close-up on a clown's face which first off you know many people are in this world are terrified of clowns so you get this close-up on his face he said you know the state you talk about stakes he says he's gonna kill he's he's vilifying batman in this turn trying to turn people against batman and he says he's gonna murder more so you have the threat of him killing more people you're like that is just like it's not just scary in that moment you're like oh shit, she's gonna do other things in this movie i'm terrified what's to come in this thing in yours it's it's just yeah it's 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 spooky it has you know it's darkness but you don't really get to connect with like being terrified of that character you're terrified kind of about just like anybody be behind me but you're not really terrified of the joker himself or sorry of the riddler himself but just that close-up on the joker's face is just absolutely jarring and terrifying when you get that and you get the scars and the way he's he's doing his giggly laughing but then also like being super sinister and like the happy and the unsettlingness is just you know again like i i can't like you can't how you scare batman you scared batman that scares me <laughs> okay, time. <laughs> I tried to end earlier. I'm sorry. No, I know it's always like the do I, don't I? Uh, Brandon, we're gonna start with you. You got five minutes when you start talking. So everyone's afraid of clowns. I'm afraid of clowns. Everyone's afraid of clowns. But there's one clown that stands out as being the scariest, and that is the Joker. He is a psychopath, murderer, and he is, terrorizes Gotham City. And the scene in the Dark Knight, we're having an amazing action movie up until this point, and then all of a sudden we get a torture scene, and we get a guy getting tortured, and he is trying to vilify Batman, turning people against Batman, who people see as shining hope, and he's taking away our hope by taking away Batman. He's making Batman the bad guy. So how are we supposed to survive in this world without Batman? And seeing how, Bat how Bruce himself has a little tremble in his eye, and you're like, oh no, he's going to lose this. Because Batman himself is scared. If Batman can't beat him, then how am I going to stand a chance? He's gonna, this guy's going to pick off all these other people, and you get this unsettlingness with him laughing and then swear to me or look at me. Wrong gravelly voice. Look at me, and then going back to the laughing and laughing at the end while he's getting tortured and screams. Uh, all right, let's go over to Tyler. Tyler, five or five minute freeform. Jesus, hell yeah. One minute closing. No, not hell yeah. One minute closing when you start talking. 
I don't normally mention my opponents uh, when uh, I do anything, but I got to say the scariest clown is Pennywise. It's not the Joker. Uh, but anyway, um, I think here, something we need to remember is that scares, scariest comes in a lot of different forms. Um, you can do like the Joker where it was loud, it was chaotic, but it was just kind of everywhere all at once and it overwhelms your senses and you get confused. Um, or you can do the Riddler who lies in wait, who waits for the perfect moment, who could be right behind you right now. Uh, and you wouldn't even know it, who can get anywhere he needs to get to, to be able to take to do his plan. He specifically targets the mayor, the highest person, the highest level. Um, the fact that the suspense just keeps building and building and building and building and building. Um, it just constantly ratchets up the fear. And then finally, he doesn't go and kill the mayor in a quiet, he's, he doesn't do it quietly. No, he doesn't like, he doesn't come behind with like a wire or anything like that. He comes from behind and he brains them. And he just goes ahead and he just he kills him. And it's so sudden and it's so it's contrast so much. All right. All right. Let's bring in the judges. Oh, this is fucking hard. Um, <sighs> okay, and I get to go first. This sucks. Um, all right. Are you guys ready? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe I'm being overdramatic. I thought this was really close. Um, I really wanted Brandon to say, Kirk, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, as a judge slash player who plays this a lot. I really wanted to jump in and make like a joke as like a as a player. And I really wanted to be like the scariest thing about the Batman is the runtime, but you know. <laughs> uh, so I I yeah. But this was really, really close for me, honestly. I thought they both brought up really good points about both scenes. Um, I think that these are two very correct choices. Um, and they both kind of presented in a way where I understood what was scary about each one. A lot of their pros and cons like canceled each other out. It's really tough. I went with Tyler. Um, Tyler's closing where he talked about um, how you you don't – like he's cold, calculated. He's behind you. You don't know if he's going to be there. And then all of a sudden he murders you in the most violent and loud way possible. Like he painted the picture to me of like why the Riddler is scary in that moment of the movie. I thought that Brandon did do a very good job. Brandon's uh, whole thing about how the fact that he makes Batman even a little scared in that moment. Um, I thought that was a really, really good point. Almost won me over, but I needed, I needed just a little bit more on that because uh, it's hard. I have such a huge knowledge on both of these movies that like, in my brain, I'm like, I don't think Batman is that scared in that moment. It's like tough because I'm trying to go based off what he's saying. It was really, really close. I Tyler wins like 50. <coughs> it's it's really, really close. Uh, Brian, where are you going and why? Uh, this was actually the easiest uh, choice of the night oh, wow. for me. Okay. Uh, anybody who knows me, I, I 
I think that uh, Heath Ledger's Joker is one of the most iconic performances of all time. I think he's phenomenal. And I am not a fan of the Batman at all, largely due to the laughably bad Paul Dano performance. I hated him <laughs> in this movie. Yes, I said it. I don't care what everybody thinks. Um, but oh, Tyler, um, wow. I thought, did an excellent job of painting the picture of, of his scene. I think the fact that he, early on, even in his opening, he described it as almost like a slasher film. I'm always lurking in the shadows how, when he's watching the family. Um, it just created a suspense. It's the first thing in the movie that you see, so you don't know what to expect from it. And I just, as much as I don't like the movie, I thought he had a better argument. You just confused the shit out of me, Brian. Uh, let's go to uh, Kirk. Your vote doesn't count. Where would you go? No, um, I agree with you, Tim. I do think this was tough. Um, I'm actually on a bit out this time. I went with Brandon. Um, I thought, like I said, they both did a really good job of um, describing their scene and why it's scary. What uh, went over for me is um, Brandon talks a lot about context. Um, about knowing, that, like, you know, it's not just scary with the imagery and in the moment, um, but you understand the stakes and set it up, and it makes the rest of the movie, you know, the, the, it's scary for what's to come. Where with, um, in the moment with the Riddler, you don't know who who he is, or it, it's scary to look at, but there's real no no context in the moment. Um, I agree with Brian. I mean, I think Dana was good when he looked like the Riddler and he had his mask off when he was just some guy in a garbage bag. I'm. Eh. But um, no, I think uh, I definitely think that uh, Brandon did a, a little bit job, better job of making his sound scary to me. Um, but Tyler did well, and I don't begrudge him the point here. Okay, all right. So we are all tied up. This means we're moving on to the bonus question. This is going to be new for both of these players, so I'm going to explain it right here. So basically, what's going to happen, guys, is as follows: uh, I am going to say a question. I am then going to repeat the question. After I have repeated the question a second time, you guys can answer it. You can Google. You can use the interwebs if you feel so needed. Uh, once one person has said their answer, that person is going to go first. Uh, the second person to answer will go second. So whoever goes first will get 45 seconds. Then the second player will get 45 seconds. Then we go back to the first player for a 30-second turn. The second player will then get a 30-second turn. You can use your time however you want. And again, I got this category and question by randomizing fandom and Warzone and then randomizing the categories within the side that was randomized. So completely there random. No back and forth. There, nope, no back and forth at all. So it's just a 45-30 for each of you. Okay. Any questions about how this is going to work? Nope. Okay. So the side of fan zone that was randomized was war zone. The category was action adventure. And your question is, what is the best non-fandom action film of the 21st century? Oh, I'm sorry. Action sequel. Action sequel is what it oh. is. I left out the word sequel. What is the best non-fandom action sequel of the 21st century? I'll take Mad Max here, Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with John Wick Parabellum. All right. So John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum versus uh, Mad Max 
Fury Road. I'm going to say on screen, gentlemen, for this uh, to give you your guys your 10 second counts. Like I said, you're going to have 45 seconds. We're going to start with Brandon. Uh, Brandon, you have 45 seconds to open your argument when you start talking. Okay, so best non-fandom sequel, action sequel of 21st century has to be Mad Max Fury Road. It's a sequel needs to be bigger, louder, deeper than the movie that follows it. It needs to one-up movie, especially action movies that have so much in each movie. It needs something to stand out from the rest. And Mad Max Fury Road is a movie that we really didn't need, but the world is a much better place for it. And it is one of now, not one of the best sequels of all time, one of the best action movies of all time. And we get everything in this movie that makes it a great action movie. We get car chases. We get large explosions. We get badass guitar players with fire, hot babes, Charlie Theron bald. We have everything in this movie, and it just goes above and beyond the previous ones. Tyler, 45 seconds when you start talking. So I was thinking the same thing, too. A uh, sequel that elevates what made the other, the original so great. And for me, best non-fandom 21st action century action sequel uh, is John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum. A film where they get Keanu Reeves to come back. I uh, guess he's back. Um, and he goes and he has to deal with his decisions that he's made in the past two films um, while also just fighting a lot of people. There's This is nonstop action. It's the fight choreography is amazing. The story, him uh, having people turn their back on him for his actions, um, seeing him try to figure out, seeing them build this world that we didn't realize was even, that we, we saw so little of, seeing him expand this as he has to because he's excommunicado. Time. Brandon, 30 seconds when we start talking. Okay. Um, Mad Max Fear Road is also a movie that it really expands on the world that we knew, the Mad Max world that we see. My, uh, If he picked uh, John Wick 2, I'd maybe, the fact when he said Parabellum, I had to kind of remind myself which one that is. I think the John Wick sequels kind of meld together. And the only thing that kind of stood out for this one that takes away from the other one is the wacky stuff when he winds up in the desert and he's suddenly Indiana Jones. I think that stuff is super messy. I think some of the stuff with, with uh, Halle Berry is super messy and just doesn't work as well as the previous two. Time. Tyler, 30 seconds when you start talking. So best sequel is going to be something that exemplifies the, the best parts of what came before it. Um, Matt, or, uh, John Wick what came before it that was best was the world building and the action and that's what this movie has in spades you see them expand the world more uh you see more about who john was before you get to see more about what exactly the high table is um and also you just you see him get to fight you, you get to see him fight more people you get to see him get pushed to his limits you get to see how is he going to survive and it's just a very actiony movie time okay uh so we will bring in the judges and we are going to close this one out. Okay. Um, Kirk, I believe you are kicking this one off. Yes. Um, it was close. Um you could tell this was the first time they both did speed run because I don't think their time management was great. Agreed. Um, but 
I think by the second half, they were kind of starting the second round. They were starting to, to, to get what was going on. Um, I think they both did a good job of, you know, starting to build up their movies. It was about um, a lot of offense only saw defense and attacks uh, mostly from one person. And that was Brandon. I think Brandon had some good takedowns when he mentioned that the uh, John Wick sequels kind of blend together, which one is which in the, um, you know, the weaker stuff is in, in, in Parabellum. Uh, and, you know, and it, it was kind of reinforced when, you know, uh, you know, the stuff that uh, uh, Tyler talked about in his second half there uh, could have basically applied to either sequel. So um, Brandon gets a point for me. Okay. Um, yeah. Like I alluded to earlier, don't know if that'll be cut out or not. Cause I don't remember when I said it, but uh, when I write these bonus questions, that are meant to be you know, questions where you can kind of think of a few things right off the top of your head. Mad Max Fury Road and either of the John Wick sequels were the ones that came to my head right away. Uh, so I'm glad that's what happened. Um, yeah, I thought that this was good. I thought that Brandon's takedown of like the sequels kind of blend together um, was actually kind of weak because he even, he said like, if you had picked the second one, great but the sequels blend together i'm like well that doesn't really make any sense because like whatever uh and so i thought that was kind of like a weird point um and i thought that tyler's point about like bringing um that what you he agreed with brandon like yeah you want to expand and everything and like the world building and the action is what people love from the first one so we have that in spades and the third one i thought that was really strong at the end of the day i did go with brandon because I thought that Kirk is gone. Bye. I think he's pissed, wow. even though he also voted for Brandon. Um, I, I did go with Brandon because I did think that Tyler's lack of attack against Fury Road was a huge detriment. I didn't hear anything about why Fury Road isn't great. So I did hear some negatives about Parabellum, even though I thought Tyler did a decent job kind of pushing back on that it wasn't enough when i didn't hear any pushback from mad max whatsoever so brandon does win the point uh brian where would you have gone and won? yeah this is one of those with it with a speed round you got to kind of figure out how to balance your time between like you know having enough time enough support of your own and attacking with other persons um i didn't hear a whole lot of attacks from them um I think when I heard the question, uh, my first thought, honestly, was Mad Max Fury Road. I think it's the correct answer, as much as I love John Wick, but I judge by the debates. Uh, however, in this case, it's still went to Brandon. All right, so that means your winner is Brandon Cohen. Um, we're going to start by talking to Tyler. Tyler, really great match. Uh, performance, uh, in my opinion, even though you won your, your last match, wildly improved in this fight. You did great tonight, man. How are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. Honestly, I just didn't want to get knocked out. So going to the bonus question, I think was a was a win in itself. And uh, honestly, Brandon played he played great. Um, I think I did pretty well. I can tell. Like I I knew I know where I messed up. Like uh, picking like picking Gene. It seemed right at the time. And then like I was trying to come up with arguments for it. And I was like, okay, maybe this wasn't the best character to fight against Jonah Hill. Super bad. You know the movie that defined like middle school years. Um, and then um, in the speed round, uh, yeah, time management, I think it was just, I'm just not used to the format. And all of a sudden I was out of time before I could say, because I had like this whole defense, like whole attack on Mad Max, which 
as soon as he said that, I was like, it's over anyway. Um, but I already had like a whole idea of what I was going to say about Mad Max, but then all of a sudden time was over and I didn't get a chance to. Yeah. It's definitely something that everybody's got to learn to uh, adapt to. It'll just take some time, but you will get there, I am sure. Tyler, uh, this does mean that your season is over. Uh, but like I said, I think you did really well in your first couple matches, and I'm excited to have you back. Is there anybody that you want to play when you come back? I'm not sure. Um, I'm not really sure who's who's in this. Uh, Do you want to play Kirk? Who would like to bring into can of vegetables? Kirk clearly... Clearly, already hates me. He went before I even got to say, like, my, uh, you know, need the match. He just was like, no, nope, I'm out of here. I heard the result. I don't, I don't need to hear Tyler go, blah, boo hoo. Uh, no, um, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, just anybody. Uh, I love talking about movies and trying to figure out answers to these questions. And I always come up with very different answers than I expect. So I'm down for any challenge. Nope. Awesome, Tyler. Thank you. You played great. We will see you next time as we bring in uh, Brandon. Brandon, great match. I thought you did really well last time, and I think you got even stronger here today. Um, you are moving on in this little bracket that we have going on, this title picture. Um, how are you feeling, sir? Um, I, feel, I mean, I, obviously I feel great. I, I did – my preparation did feel better going into this match. But that one all, all, all went out the door when Tyler started speaking. I think our styles completely clash with each other. And he's like the perfect counter for my loud obnoxiousness and the way he's kind of soft spoken and just kind of straight to the point. And like it really did kind of shake me a little bit in the beginning when he first started speaking. I was like, oh, God. And then I had to kind of keep talking more and kind of felt myself talk myself into a, a corner a few times because I had to felt like I needed to talk more. Um <laughs> Sorry, the chat. Um, but no, obviously, I feel great. This was a, a, a blast. This was a lot of fun. And um, I, I wish I kind of, again, when you said like time management, I mean, I won the point, but still felt like, you know, I should have done like more like point attack, point attack, kind of doing like a little hybrid style there. So for next time, if I get to that point, I think I'll be a little bit more prepared. Yeah. So, uh, Brandon, you are moving on. Uh, you are going to be playing the winner. Uh, you're actually moving. To be honest, you're moving on to a number one contenders match already. Uh, and you're going to be playing the winner of Brooklyn Vale and Bill Cariola. Now, a couple questions for you. One, do you know who either of those people are? And two, who do you want to play more? I'm going to fantasy baseball league with Brooklyn. So definitely know who that – and then I played with Bill before. So um haven't seen Brooklyn play, though. I haven't seen Bill play this, but I've seen his – Kind of his personality um so I, I can imagine how good he would do with this um it doesn't matter um again at the end of the day like if as long as my preparation is complete and i you know i'm able to kind of foresee my opponent and what counterpoints they can make um i think i can be victorious awesome all right well we'll find out who you're gonna play soon uh in a couple weeks here brandon looking forward to seeing you in the next match thank you sir uh, let's get final thoughts tonight uh, from Kirk. Kirk, uh, final thoughts on the match. Yeah, um, I think they both did good. I think they both showed improvement from their first match. Uh, Brandon, obviously, especially, um, you know, a little more experience under his belt, uh, learning, you know, the ins and outs of it more, it seems like. Um, so I think either one he plays, uh, you know, Bill and Brooklyn, I think, uh, on paper, were probably the two favorites to go all the way in this. Um, but I think he's going to give you the one of them a good run for the money. Yeah. And Brian, final thoughts from you? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I enjoyed the debate. I, I always like when they go to the, the bonus question because that just means it's been close. It's not, you know, a lopsided one, uh, one-sided affair can be kind of boring. Um, I would like to take some points back away from Tyler, though, for uh, describing Superbad as uh, defining his middle school years because it just reminds me how very, very old I am. That's so, yeah. That's right. Yeah, I liked it earlier when they said that. Uh, I forget. I forget which one of them said it, but I think it was Tyler when he said, uh, "You know, we've all seen Darth Vader from when we were kids, or you know, whenever you saw that movie." And I was like, "Is this a jab at Brian Kirk? <laughs> Is this a jab at them?" Uh, but anyway, uh, great match. I thought they both did great. Uh, so thank you guys for being a part of this one. Thank you to Brian and Kirk for uh, managing or er, managing. Jesus Christ for judging and thank you to brandon and tyler for playing we will see you guys uh in two weeks i believe for the next match uh which is going to be brooklyn versus bill other stuff coming up on the docket we got nazario taking on caleb uh coho which is going to be just a disaster and then jacoby uh bancroft is going to be back to take on cody newberry which is also going to be a disaster so uh thank you guys so much for watching we'll see you guys real soon with the next one until then bye there we go Thank you very much. Please come again. We have a lot more groceries.